Hi, I'm Max Moynian of Future Earth. And I'm Henry Lin of Better World. Better World is an exploration of badass people doing really cool things. The more we know about this world, the better we can do in changing it. There are a lot of issues with the technologies that are perceived as part of the solution today. From our perspective, we are in the energy transition. We are transitioning away from a legacy system. Are there going to be better technologies that are going to have more sustainable materials that are going to ultimately you know, drive even more impact? Absolutely. Do we have the time to wait for those technologies to get to the point where you know, they need to get to? No, we don't have time. Things that we do now where in 10, 20 years are going to be like, wow, we can't believe we did that. But we're going to have to have done certain things in order to advance the market to where it needs to be. Hi, I'm Max Moynian of Future Earth, and today's a special day because Henry's not with us. Just kidding. We love Henry. Um, but it's also a special day because we're going to be speaking with Jake Rosemarin of Antenna Group. Antenna is an integrated marketing and public relations firm that partners with its clients to build compelling brands and achieve sales and lead generation objectives with precision and creativity. They blend data and human brilliance to generate meaningful results and transmit messages that matter. And we're going to be speaking with Jake Rosemarin, who has spent the past decade advancing clean tech industries through marketing innovation. He's helped launch dozens of clean tech and smart mobility startups and is a trusted advisor to CEOs and VCs and was recognized on the Forbes 30 under 30 list in 2018. As Antenna's chief growth officer, Jake leads strategic growth, service expansion and client success initiatives for the agency's clean energy, sustainability, mobility, and emerging tech practices. Jake, welcome to Better World. Couldn't be more excited to join today. Oh, love the enthusiasm. Love the Better World podcast. <laughs> I want to start with, um, like, Antenna seems to me more broad um, and has this sustainability piece of it. And tell me how that, has that always been core to the mission? Has it always, how did that happen for you? So Antenna was founded as a clean tech agency. So we've always been focused on clean tech and sustainability. Um, we've grown into other areas that elegantly intersect, right? So looking at things like sustainability in the built environment, right? And that's like a big part of our real estate team. Um, looking at um, health technologies and implications for, you know, driving, um, you know, digital health during the pandemic, for example, right? So looking at areas that are ultimately going to provide a net positive impact. Um, so we're looking, you know, we look at growth from, okay, the companies we want to work with are, you know, companies at the intersection of technology and impact. And, you know, that impact can be defined in, in different ways. Cool. And how did you get started in this world? Like if you, let's, and I don't know what your trajectory was at all, but if, if, if at some point in your career, you did like the Venn diagram of things of Jake, of I care about the planet and these are my skills and whatnot. Like how did I see it visually, those circles and the Venn diagram sort of get you to where you are today? Yeah. So I was, I was at the University of Maryland. I was studying government and politics. Um, and I was, uh, I got an internship for a, a think tank, a Middle East think tank. And a lot of what they were doing was exposing how 
the U.S. government was funding unstable regimes, primarily because of oil and national scale. And, and so I was like, look at it. I'm like, that is just bananas. I'm like, you know, we need to bring, we need energy security. We need domestic energy. We need to be investing in, you know, local energy. Um, and you know, ultimately that led to sustainable energy, which is, you know, local and, you know, provides us with that energy. So it was actually the energy, it was the energy security piece that, first introduced me to this world, um, but then just became obsessed with it. So I, um, I got an internship at uh, the Solar Energy Industries Association, which is the largest uh, you know, solar in- industry association, um, focusing on Maryland, DC, and Virginia. So supporting you know, solar policy and, and market development um, in, uh, you know, in, in the mid-Atlantic region. Um, and you know, while I was there, and this is this is like 2009. Uh, while I was there, I observed that the the solar policies that were going to enable the market to grow were put into place. You had the finance mechanisms that were going to enable people to go solar without any upfront cost introduced into the market, and then you had the cost of solar panels and the all the you know, other equipment was plummeting. Um, so I was like, oh my god, like. This is the beginning of a hockey stick moment. This is, you know, really becomes a marketing play, right? No one knows anything about this, and this is about to explode. So I was like, all right, I'm going to focus on marketing solar, and that was my first foray into it. I started a firm called Eco Branding, which was, you know, initially focused on solar, and then we moved into electric vehicles and energy efficiency, and um, you know, all of the other areas that, you know, ultimately became the clean tech, climate tech ecosystem. Um, and I, I ran that firm for seven and a half years, and then we were acquired by Antenna in 2017. That's amazing. That's really interesting. I don't talk to enough or many people who came in to the climate world from this route. And it's, it's personal to me also. My parents are from Iran and they left during the revolution. And I spent my whole childhood like not understanding the revolution in Iran as uh as connected to oil at all, because that's not the narrative that was that was told to me. And once I learned these things and learned the extent to which oil pollute uh like oil fuels war. It really, it really changed a lot of things for me. I was just like, oh, another reason why this sucks and we should stop relying on it. And I think that's really interesting. Did you, I'm curious to know, because you, you see a lot of people trying to jump on this space and I am not myself seeing enough sort of like due diligence about working with different companies and like are companies really doing the right thing. I think it's really interesting that in this last IPCC report from two months ago, that a big word that was used was maladaptation. Because to me, that's like so crucial. And it really like, it hurts my soul sometimes when I see so many people and companies actually genuinely trying to do the right thing and trying to be better, but not actually doing the right thing or being better just because the issues are so complex and it's it's really hard. So that all leads me to wonder when you're dealing with new technology that's so complex and like constantly changing every day and we're dealing with like 
uh, rare earth minerals for a lot of the renewable technology and stuff like that. How do you sort of vet the companies that you're working with and how do you think about that? Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of complexity. We, we operate in, in highly complex markets. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, you know, the, the burden is, is on us for sure to make sure that, you know, the, the, you know, we're looking at the founders, we're looking at the traction to date, the types of partners that they're engaged with. Um, we pay very close attention to the investors because we know certain investors have, you know, much uh, stricter due diligence as part of their, uh, you know, investment criteria. So that's going to be a very, you know, a very telling, like if, like we know companies like struggle to raise money and they're not making it out of due diligence with, you know, investors that we know, and we have a very large investor network. All right. That's, that's a, you know, big red flag for us, right? Why aren't they making it through that, that, through that process? And yeah, I mean, like there are, you know, a lot of issues with the technologies that are, you know, perceived as part of the solution today, right? And, and batteries are in a, a, an easy target, right? Because of the amount of rare earth materials that they use and cobalt and, you know, in, in, you know, many lithium ion batteries and things like that. You know, I think from, from our perspective, there's, we are in the energy transition. We are transitioning away from a legacy system. Are there going to be better technologies that are, you know, going to have more sustainable materials that are going to, you know, you know, ultimately, you know, drive even more impact? Absolutely. Do we have the time to wait for those technologies to get to the point where, you know, they need to get to, you know, no, we, we don't have time. So, you know, they're going to be things that we do now where in, you know, 10, 20 years, we're going to be like, wow, I can't believe like we did, we can't believe we did that, but, you know, we're going to have to have done certain things in order to advance the market to where it needs to be. What are some clients or technologies that are really exciting you right now? There's so much. <laughs> uh, there's so much. Um, I used to look at at clean tech as this umbrella term, right? And it was like within clean tech, you have solar and wind and you know LEDs and electric vehicles, and, and the list like you know dropped off pretty significantly from there. My lens has changed considerably for a number of reasons, and you know, but but now I I kind of look at clean tech as Okay, we have the whole economy. Now, instead of looking at clean tech as this isolated bucket, right? How do we apply clean tech and climate tech innovation to every segment of the economy, right? Which is a very different lens, and it, it opens you up to impact in in ways that you know you may not have really thought about before. And you know, part of that thinking was from um, you know uh, Bill Gates talks about you know the the seventy five percent right. It's like twenty five percent. Like most people think about clean tech, you know, climate tech. They think about you know renewable energy and and fossil fuels, and that's you know ultimately twenty five percent of the problem. And the seventy five percent is you know the manufacturing of you know steel and cement and agriculture and right and all these other sectors right. And so it's like, how do we address that that seventy five percent? Um, so the last few years, like I, I've put a lot more attention into the 75% problem and that's led me to, you know, areas like carbon tech and, you know, all the like carbon to value technologies, you know, it's led me into, you know, Tell us more about that. so the, uh, CCUS based carbon capture utilization storage, it's, uh, you know, there are different 
looks of that industry. But um, you know, we we work with clients um, that do you know turnkey carbon capture project development, where they're you know going and building you know huge facilities to literally suck carbon out of the atmosphere and either store it or uh, you know send it to be used as part of a um, you know manufacturing process or for other applications. Companies that are taking carbon or that are taking captured carbon out of the atmosphere uh, and uh, using it for a variety of, of products, right? So that's more on the utilization side. So companies like 12 that are, um, you know, creating fuels that are based from CO2, right? Instead of using fossil fuels to, to create, you know, certain fuels and chemicals that can be used in, you know, everyday products, you know, apparel, cleaning supplies, you know, even like jet engine fuel. Um, things like that. You know, companies that are, you know, one company we're working with, they capture carbon in buildings. Um, it's called Carbon Quest, and they connect to flue gas in buildings. So, wait, what capture, is the carbon in buildings coming from? Like, so natural gas, for example, that's like used in a building. Like, you have like a gas burner, right? There's okay. there's exhaust coming out of that, and it's just going straight up into the atmosphere. So they're just capturing it at the source, and they can reduce the emissions from all the gas used in a building by like 97 to 99% or something like that. I mean, it's incredible. Um, it's really cool. So, and that's a great example of like a transition technology where, you know, it's like 70% of buildings in New York City use natural gas today. If we said all buildings in New York can't use natural gas tomorrow, the city would literally shut down overnight, right? So what are we gonna do? That's an amazing solution to address a very important problem. So that would be during the transition, a technology that we could use. Yes. Away from gas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that space is, is like particularly exciting. And I think what's really cool about carbon is that you can take captured carbon and use it for so many things. So there's like a you know, massive industry that's, you know, we're seeing huge growth in around biomanufacturing and like synthetic materials, sustainable materials. And if you look at the, the primary input or the primary catalyst to create a lot of these technologies is actually carbon. All right. So like how, how cool, how circular is that? Right. Like we were, you know, you're using carbon as a catalyst to grow like cement blocks or in concrete blocks, right. Like using CO2 and algae and water. And so, you know, like that's just like a whole new paradigm for building materials. And, and a lot of it is being enabled by carbon, which is, which is a, you know, I'd, I'd love to get to the point where, you know, it's like we, we, we're using so much carbon, you know, that we, we're having, you know, for, for all these circular applications that there's like a carbon shortage. You know, I want to be, oh, be on that side. Of, right? That's a crazy thing to think <laughs> about, right? It's like, fun. we're going to need more carbon eventually, right? Uh, um, I, I really don't think we'll ever get there, but it's a funny thought. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny thought. It's a funny thought. It's, it's interesting to me to like think about sort of like reverse hacking the system like what happens over when i when i tell people the long format story about global warming it's like this carbon took you know centuries upon centuries to just kind of float from the atmosphere and sink into the earth and go to the depths of the earth where it stayed there for a very very long time until it became oil and gas and all these things that are within the earth's crust where they should stay. And because we've sucked them back out, that's why we're out of balance. So to think about technology helping us suck it back down is, is really cool. 
and interesting. I mean, I love technology. I'm not one to to put too much of my faith in technology because I personally just feel more inclined to try to change like hearts around climate. I mean, I also think it's telling that this last IPCC report talked about we're never going to get to where we need to get without dramatically changing our lifestyle. I mean, they didn't say it in that language. They said it in some like crunchy science language, but that's what they're saying. And so it's, it's, it just goes to show that like climate changes everything and we need all sides of these issues being worked on. And like, you know, you're filling such an important role messaging on like lifestyle changes and things like that is also an important role. All of these things really need to come together and get us to where we need to be. I I would push back a, a little bit there, right? Like technology is going to enable us to educate people. It's going to enable people to make more informed decisions, right? Like data is going to enable, you know, like weather data is going to be able to better optimize renewable energy resources, you know, ES, you know, technologies for, for, you know, uh, measuring, you know, energy and carbon reduction targets, right. Is going to, you know, be critical in order to, you know, get us to the, the, you know, the, the outcomes that, that we're, we're hoping to, to achieve. Right. Like, so, I mean, I, I think they go hand in hand. I think, I think technology can be used to better, to, to help people make better decisions. Right. And can help them, you know, ease that transition to a new lifestyle. Right. And, you know, things like that. So, you know, I think that they're, they're I agree with that. I just think at some point we have so much data that we don't know what to do with it. Like sure. I just, I'm, I have this like vision in my head of just, you know, like storage facility, a massive data storage facility with just like servers upon servers of servers, like holding all this data and I'm standing in the front of it. And I'm like, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> you know, like, what do we do with all of this data? And that's where it's just like the, the narrative becomes so important to me. And like, I don't want to get into crypto because like I'll roll my eyes. I'll be the first one to roll my eyes. So just say we need up. another session for crypto. You know, a whole different conversation, but a quick <laughs> example to me of where things get a little misaligned is like, it's not just about transitioning to renewable energy. It's also about becoming way more efficient with our energy use. And here we have this technology that like was built by like our generation and is, is trying to sort of like screw the system in this beautiful way, but then is so misaligned right now, currently, you know, I know people are working on to fix it in the energy space. Like crypto is using more energy than like entire nations and it's a huge problem. And it's just like, every time I bring this up with a crypto bro, it's like, oh, but like crypto like they're going to run crypto on renewable energy i'm like we don't have the capacity to use the renewable that we have currently to be running crypto like we need to be be more efficient with our energy use and so that's where i'm just like the tech slash heart mind lifestyle alignment gets misaligned and that's really kind of what i was like thinking about when i said that before yeah yeah, it's it's definitely a rabbit hole, but you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of people work on technologies to make crypto much more efficient. I'm seeing people work on technologies that are going to, you know, couple 
um, renewable energy production with crypto energy consumption and ensure that you know you're actually like mapping your energy use to like real renewable energy that's like verified you know using blockchain filecoin green is a, is a company that we work with that's doing um a, a lot of work in in that in that space but uh but yeah i mean crypto is, i mean it, it's definitely a good example but like blockchain in general right like it's gonna like the the most effective solutions for energy and carbon accounting that are going to be, you know, have the, the greatest level of trust are likely going to be the solutions that are based on a blockchain backend so that you have like real verification, you know, authenticity of the renewable energy credit or of the carbon that was emitted. Right. So, I mean, you know, even with all of the controversy around blockchain, there are certainly some real world applications that are going to be, you know, very, very important, um, you know, from, you know, from that space. So something something to pay attention to and there are a lot of really smart people working on it so i'm 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 cautiously optimistic i like that cautiously optimistic is good and and and, and i would say you're cautiously and actively optimistic cuz you're not sitting on the sidelines just waiting for other people to figure it out you know you're you're invested in the space um i want to talk about public relations because there have been so many genius playbooks from public relations firms in the past 30, 40 years that were meant to sort of confuse the public on the climate issue and, um, you know, working for the fossil fuel industry, basically. Public relations in the fossil fuel industry have been hand in hand for so long. So to see firms like Antenna that are on the other side and sort of flipping the script really makes me happy. So I'm curious to know what you think about that and um, where you stand. So... Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of attention that has been you know brought to the role of of PR and climate and sustainability and greenwashing. You know, I I, I you know, I'm obviously in the camp that you know I think PR is a powerful tool that can be used to create a better world. Right, like the world is complex. The challenges we face are deeply nuanced, and PR is a tool to bring this complexity down to a level that could be more easily understood or digested by the public, by policymakers, influencers, and industry, right? Like all all groups that have a great burden put on them today, right? With all like with rising social pressure around ESG and sustainability and decarbonization, right? Of course, it can be used in a much more harmful way, um, and you know that's why, like Antenna, we have a, a, a pledge to you know not support the growth of, of fossil fuels and you know make every make every new client sign a climate pledge that basically says we acknowledge the climate crisis and we commit to educating our employees on you know the uh the dangers of the the, the uh, climate crisis and uh you know commits to you know a reduction of their you know greenhouse you know greenhouse gas emissions and you know, their, their carbon footprint so like we we make that i mean that's abundantly clear you know like in every like if you're if you want to work with antenna you're signing that pledge if you don't sign that pledge you're not working with antenna um, yeah so it's very much in our, our ethos and a lot of people um you know talk about uh you know the, the group clean creatives like they're, duncan they're, is a friend yeah so yeah so clean creatives right like uh, they've done an amazing job of bringing awareness to the dangers of pr marketing and, and, and advertising when the intention is to mislead the public and contribute towards, you know, that, that greenwashing agenda. You know, I think where we differ 
is that you know we believe that the largest energy companies in the world need to be key drivers of the clean energy transition, right? And so, like, I think ultimately we're working towards the same end goal as the clean creatives. So, like the Shells and the Exxon's and the Chevrons, you want to work with them. It's not that. Well, it's that they need to transition their businesses for the new energy economy, which is based on clean energy, distributed energy, you know, um, low carbon technologies. They're getting pushed in that direction. Are there some that are more, you know, resistant? You know, absolutely. Um, but at the end of the day, and this is like, I think, you know, the more, you know, a bit more like pragmatic perspective on this, right? Which is like, some of the largest investments and acquisitions in the energy transition space have been made by the same companies that Clean Creatives is opposing, right? Um, like those companies have the infrastructure, the financial resources, the operational expertise to accelerate the transition. Like, and so, you know, I, I'm, and maybe again, this goes to like the, the cautiously optimistic, you know, side, right? It's like, I think we need to put them, we need to put those companies in a position where they have the public support, the policy and regulatory support, right? Like their big customers, the biggest energy users in the world, right? Are pushing them, all right? So that they can all, we can all enable those companies to positively contribute to, you know, the climate cause and the, and the energy transition. And, and I know a lot of people that are focused on decarbonization at groups like BP and Shell. And they are some of the like the people that are focused on decarbonization at these organizations are some of the smartest and most passionate people that I've met in the space, and they're driving some. Okay, I need to know more about these more about these people. Yeah, like are they like full on climate people, and they're like like the best thing I can do with my talents is go work at BP. Oh yeah, a lot of them. A lot of them are like like how can we have the biggest impact? bring the biggest energy companies in the world and force their and and push them into these solutions. I have yeah. so much respect for people like that because like I would not be able to work the system on that scale. Like it sounds to me sort of like exhausting. So yes, but to be clear, not all these companies are created equal. Some of these companies and I'll like I'll call out BP Right. They have a very progressive CEO who made a commitment to 100% net zero. Bernard is a little, is a little questionable to me. I'm not going to let you get away with saying that on this podcast. <laughs> they, they have goals that they've set. The people that I know that are working at BP Ventures and BP Launchpad are hell-bent on helping BP meet that target and are making investments across a variety of technologies to um, you know, help make those those goals a reality. I'm not I'm not here to like say, oh, I think all you know they're not the pro-. like yeah those companies are the biggest they're the biggest polluters you know in in the world right. But if we do, but you know it's what is it it's something like seventy percent of global emissions come from a hundred companies. So if we don't engage those a hundred companies and make them a part of the solution, then we're not going to be able to solve the biggest challenges that we face. Right. Like like we have to engage those communities that achieve the outcomes that we want. I think that um, it's not that far fetched. Like we're we're completely aligned up of, of that. These are really powerful players that are the ones that will move the needle. 
aligned until that point. But to me, I definitely, I, I fall more on the side of like, I'm like, what is the other argument that could be made to what you're saying? And I definitely would fall more on the side to like, we need to nationalize the fossil fuel industry and like slowly break them down. Um, and to me, it, it comes down more to an issue of like, as we transition to renewable energy, like transition is inevitable, justice is not kind of thinking. And as we transition to renewable energy, energy democracy is something that um, is super important. We don't want like the the next generation of oligarchs sort of running renewable energy because these companies, it's not just that they're polluting the planet. It's also that they have a legacy and history of like sacrificing people, places, land, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's sort of, it's sort of dirty and sticky to me on, on many fronts, not just um, on the polluting front. So I hear I, I, I agree with, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that the nature of the energy transition it alleviates a lot of the issues. You have renewable energy sources that are non-polluting, that are distributed. You have program design that is focusing on, you know, LMI, like low to moderate income, you know, uh, uh, energy consumers, right? Like, so I think that, you know, there, I, I don't see the scenario where we, you know, we end up where the justice issue is as pronounced as it is today, right? Like, I, 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 I don't, necessarily see that when it comes to like nationalizing these groups and things like that like i'm not i, I wouldn't say i'm not like opposed to that like, you know, i think that that's like one way you know one way to do it the point as the, the point i'm trying to say is that you know i think we need to engage these players as part of the solution does that mean that like we're going to go and antenna is going to represent some ong interests so they can expand their drilling operations of course not like of course we're not going to do anything that resembles that right but you know, if they're, if we see certain companies making, you know, the types of investments that we're seeing, we're like, they're helping to, you know, accelerate the rollout of EV charging infrastructure, which we see, I mean, BP is a good example. Like they're doing a ton in that space to, to drastically accelerate the rollout of EV charging infrastructure and investing in technologies that are going to help to reduce the amount of time to uh, uh, install chargers and, and eliminate red tape in the process. And, yeah, so I mean, like you know, I think it, it's not all doom and gloom when it comes to those groups, and you know, I think that they have a role to play. Like we all have a role to play, you know. And obviously, we want to see, you know, we want we want the good actors to to win and and you know contribute the greatest impact. Fair enough. So let's wrap this up. I want to ask you about something in your personal life that's like you know, we all take those baby steps so we don't get overwhelmed to align our lifestyles with our values. And is there something you're doing or reading or anything like that that's exciting that you want to share with the audience? Sure. So I think there are always things that, I mean, there are things that I do that I think are, you know, ultimately, you know, contributing um like you know i subscribe to a community solar garden i'm, I'm not eligible for rooftop solar in, in new york city um yeah, i'm a renter in new york city so subscribing to community solar is a great way to you know buy your energy from uh you know from from solar which is really cool because my solar the solar garden that i subscribe to is like two blocks from my house so that's kind of kind of neat um, in, in new york city in, in brooklyn 
in Brooklyn. Okay, explain yeah. explain for the folks what community solar is quickly and how that works. Okay, so community solar. First of all, everyone should do it. Um, second, uh, uh, the way it works is um, you know I you you go onto a community solar subs- uh, subscription platform website, and there are you know there are many out there. I use Power Market. Um, my, my buddies run that company, and so you know, want want to support my friends. Um, and uh, they're Brooklyn Brooklyn based startup. And um, Power Market, and there, there are many others like Perch Energy is is a big one. Arcadia, Common Energy, uh, there, there are a variety of others. Um, so I, I um, uh, subscribed. I think as soon as I was like eligible, maybe like two years ago, something like that. You sign on to the website, you put in your, you know, your zip code, your utility account number. Um, it then, you know, shows you your eligibility. You can shop for different community solar offers. And so you can actually see like where the project is, what, you know, how large is the project, you know, what the, the off taker uh, mix is going to be. Is it, you know, all going to be residential or maybe is, is part of it for LMI where they're going to, you know, get like discounted energy for, you know, um, you know, certain users. And so you can pick, you can see like the savings profile of the project. Um, and then you, you, you know, you sign up for the subscription and you still pay for your energy through your utility, you still get your energy through your utility, but the but your utility, in this case, Con Edison, is buying the power from that community solar garden. So you are not actually getting your electricity from that solar garden, but you are basically telling your utility, hey, I want you to be buying more renewable electricity into the grid. Yeah, and I like this method better than the old method, which was like sign up for like your green program from the utility and the green energy program literally could be the equivalent of like a wind farm in Iowa that is just like cranking and literally not, it could not even be feeding into the grid because there's too much energy, like there's more energy being produced from renewables there than the grid actually needs. Right. And so it's like, okay, if I'm in New York and buying wind energy credits from Iowa, like, what is that actually doing to contribute to the local grid? Um, yeah, the best but, part is putting pressure on on Con Ed to do better. Yeah, so I thought it was super cool that you know I'm subscribed to a building that's two blocks away, and it's like liter- you know, real like local energy generation that's feeding into the grid. And I, you know, I thought that was pretty cool. And nothing so, about your life had to change. You still pay your nothing. Building. Yeah, nothing about my life had to change. Um, I just you know I pay part of the energy to the community solar company. And then I get a bill credit back on my Con Ed bill. Amazing. So that was, yeah, so that's, that was pretty I cool. Love that um, yeah. It's a really, it's a really good hack for going solar. If you, you know, or if you're a renter or you have like a lot of shade over your house and um, you know, if, uh, don't, I don't recommend cutting trees to put solar on your house. Keep the trees. We need trees. Yeah. The shade is good. You know, your house will be more efficient because of the yeah, shade that that tree provides, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, actually I, I keep, I've, I've been doing a lot of like electrify your home type posts on future earth. And I, I, everything I'm reading comes back to like the best thing you can do for energy efficiency or home is insulation and mm-hmm. shading. Yeah, <laughs> so like, totally. All right, like we didn't really need all this sexy technology. We do. And we, you know, we also just need to just insulate our homes. Great. Yeah. Another another plug of of like local things that I do. Oh, do it. We love a plug. I can't 
I can't have an EV right now because of my rental situation. It's like street parking. It's like, it's kind of a disaster to yeah. get an EV. Um, so I'm a big Revel user, very big fan of Revel, uh, big Which in New York City. Fox and is better Tesla. So, so it's the, the main part of Revel is the uh, shared electric mopeds. Okay. So I'm a big Revel power user. Henry made me do that with him once. I was terrified. So fun, all electric. From a cost perspective, it's about half of what you would pay for an Uber, but it's super fun and zero emission. So that's a, that's a really like it's a good a good way to to get around the city. Um, obviously, public transportation is great, but not always the best option. And Revel is a great a great lifestyle hack for for, for New York City and the other cities where they're operating. I think it's like DC, San Francisco, I think Miami now. Um, bunch of cities. So I, I really like how true you are to PR because that was a lot of really nice plugs, which is we great. We don't even work with them. They're just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> just a big uh, fan of Revel. <laughs> okay. Oh, very fair. Even better. Even stronger testimonial. Uh, but you're also good at what you do. So, so kudos to you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Um, I very much enjoyed talking to you. Likewise. Everyone should go check out Antenna's work, antennagroup.com, and reach out if you are needing of PR and you do good things for the planet. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. This was Better World. I'm Max Moynian. Henry is... I don't know where Henry is. We miss him, though. We do miss Henry. Henry.